Sunday, March the 12th. Welcome to the Spurlington Audio Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and inspired in your faith as you listen to this message. We'd love to hear what you think. Please be in touch with us through the website. More information and many more podcasts are all at burlingtonbaptist.org.uk. Thanks for listening. We're in this series, as Claire was saying some moments ago, entitled Walking with God. And we uh, saw last time that Paul made a distinction between prayers and petitions. And we noticed that most of our prayers are like petitions. We spend most of our prayer time asking God for stuff. And you'll have a list, either mentally or written down, probably that you use when you come to prayer. Because for us, so easily and so quickly, prayer becomes synonymous with the things that we ask God for. But if that's what Paul calls petitions, then what on earth is prayer? And we saw last time how the whole of the scripture takes us on a journey of invitation, culminating in those words that Jesus said just before he died, that his prayer, his petition, ironically for us, is that we would be in him and in us, Jesus said, about the Father and Son, just as they are in one another. In other words, there's this great invitation for us to be in relationship with God at the level and at the intimacy of the Trinity itself. And I was inviting you last week to spend five minutes before you did anything else every day just to say to God, I'm here and I'm saying yes to that invitation. Put your hands up if you actually did that. Five minutes every day. Okay, you won't mind if I keep going because only a few of you did that. So we can do last week's sermon if you like a little bit. It's hard though, isn't it? To press into what we know is good for us. It's hard to press into what we know God is inviting us to. But this is the great invitation of the scriptures. And it's at the heart of what we're understanding here to walk with God. So as we begin to respond... As we begin to say, yes, God, I hear your invitation and I want to step in more deeply to this relationship with you. What posture do we need to adopt? And I guess maybe the disciples had that question. Maybe it came up for different reasons for the disciples. But having watched Jesus walking with God... Having heard Jesus say, actually, the only things that I do is what I see the Father doing. The only things I say is what I hear the Father saying. Having seen that deep level of connection with God, the disciples say to Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. And what Jesus said in response to that question was remarkable. We're we're familiar with it, but it would have been remarkable. Because the disciples steeped in the Old Testament would have wondered what kind of name of God should we use to address him. Now the Old Testament is full of superb names for God. Jehovah Jireh, the God who will provide. You could understand Jesus saying, use that name for God because it will remind you that as you come to pray, it is God himself who provides for everything in every way. That would be a good way to begin our prayers, to focus on the God who is big enough and able enough to provide for us in every situation. But I guess maybe we've already moved back into petition then rather than prayer. 
Or would it be Jehovah Rophe, the God who heals, or Jehovah Nissi, the God who is my banner, my cheerleader, or the God, Jehovah Ra, the God who leads and directs us as a shepherd, or Jehovah Shalom, the God who is peace, a transforming inward peace? What would be the name that Jesus would say that helps you get the posture right as you walk with God? Maybe it would have been another kind of list of Old Testament names that focus on God's all-surpassing greatness and power. Al Shaddai, for example, the God Almighty. Al Roe, the God who transcends, who's bigger and above all things. El Elohim, the supreme and glorious God. What name of God in the Old Testament captures your heart and captures your attention? Which name of God inspires you as you come to pray? Which would it be? Tell the person next to you which one it might be. All of those names, utterly true, and contain amazing truth that we need to grab hold of, truth that will shape us, truth that will inform us, truth that will change us in our walk with uh, God. But none of them captured of themselves exactly what Jesus understood when he talked about walking with God. None of them captured the very heart of what Jesus understood to be true when the disciples said, teach us to pray. And the astonishing revelation that the Jesus was about to share with those disciples was in the end the thing that got him killed. It was the thing that the religious leaders could not get their head around, the thing that the religious leaders could not stand. This is what Jesus said. When you pray, say, Father. Say, Father. Say, Father. Come to this all-supreme, all-sufficient, all-knowing, all-glorious great God and call him Father. In fact, Jesus actually used the word Abba, which we would in our vernacular probably mean daddy or or something that was more intimate father is a bit formal isn't it yes father it's a bit like I'm going to shake your hand father it's not like that at all what Jesus says captures an intimacy of of Abba of of daddy as we know and these disciples would have been speechless they would hardly have dared in fact they didn't even say God's name Yahweh for fear that somehow they would offend him so to approach him with that kind of personal intimate reflection would have been beyond their imagining because Abba and Imma would have been the very first words that little Jewish boys and girls would have learnt to speak. It would have been that kind of offhand, that kind of personal, that kind of vulnerable. And that in itself is an amazing truth, isn't it? The Jewish boys and girls grew up and the very first word they learnt to say was the word that they could use to address God. Have you ever thought about that? 
What does that say about the primacy of being called into relationship with God? That as soon as you can say one single word, that's enough to frame and be in relationship with God. And so Jesus was reframing the whole thing and the religious leaders would go bananas and in the end they would kill him for it. Abba was so personal, so familiar. Jesus isn't though in any way bringing God down to our level. He's not in any way saying, do you know what? God is just one of us hanging out with the guys so you can call him whatever you want uh, because he's no different. In fact, Matthew makes that clear when he expands on what Jesus was saying. He's our father who art in heaven, our father who literally fills and is bigger than and more expansive than the heavens themselves. And don't miss the word our father. What does it mean when the son of God, the one who calls God father, says to you and me, our father? We can't say our father because we've got different fathers unless there's something that neither of us know about. Generally speaking, we have different fathers. We can only say our father if we are in some way brothers and sisters. In human terms, we can't say it because we don't share the same father. But what is Jesus saying here? He's saying again what we were looking at last time about this level of invitation into God's family. God, the one and only son who calls God father, invites us alongside him to also call God our father. He's inviting us to become part of the family. He's inviting us into the family relationships. He's inviting us to know him as father. And to say yes to that great invitation. And that's the secret. That's the secret of Jesus' power. When Jesus prayed, Lazarus, come out. Or to Jairus' daughter, get up or be well. Or to the blind man, see. Jesus wasn't just somehow praying for the first time. It came out of the whole of his life. That was a connectedness, was a walking with God. He was always praying, always communing with his father, always listening to what his father was saying, which was what made his prayers so powerful. Don't you believe that I am in the father and that the father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own, rather it's the father living in me who is doing his work. And as you read the gospels, and again our familiarity with them, causes us to miss it sometimes. The personal nature of Jesus' walk with God would have been staggering. It just wasn't on the agenda until Jesus brought it this way. The level of personal intimacy that Jesus had with God and was inviting those disciples into was extraordinary and shocking even. And again, that's why the religious leaders went nuts and killed him in the end. And we see it in all kinds of places, but I want to zoom in on just one. One at the start of Jesus' ministry that kind of set the tone, set the benchmark for everything that was about to happen. We read of it in all four of the Gospels, which probably means it was really crucial and really central to all that was going on and all that those early believers would understand about Jesus. And we read that when all the people were being baptised... Jesus was being baptized too. 
And as he was praying, it says, heaven was opened. Heaven was literally opened as he was praying. God the Father did something out of character. Did something extraordinary to express his love for his son. Maybe you can think of moments when someone, maybe your father, maybe someone else has done something extraordinary to express their love for you. I remember when I was at a, a camp, uh, we, uh, a church camp in the Gower in South Wales. My dad had been back to work for a week and he came back on the Friday night and he saw me in the distance and he ran across the field and he leapt over several tennis nets in order to reach me. Now, why does that stick in my mind? Because it's something extraordinary that expresses something. Here is God the Father doing something extraordinary, wrenching open the heavens to express something of his love and his delight in his Son. When all the people were being baptized, it says, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, the heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, you are my son. You are my boy whom I love. And with you, I am well pleased. That's my boy marked with love, the pride of my life. And what happened next? would be about a father and a son. Remember last week we talked about the whole thing being in relationship terms. The whole thing is about a father and a a son. Luke the doctor talks about something real and tangible, something physical. Look at what he says. You are my son whom I love. With you I am well. He heard the father's voice. He heard the Father's voice, but also he felt the Father's touch. The Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. There was both a voice to hear and a touch to feel. There was a a message, an, an inner reality expressed in a very external, if you like, physical dimension. It was both internal and external. It was an all-encompassing communication. We know, don't we, that uh, most of communication is not what's said, but it's about tone and body language and uh, all those other factors that go around that communicating moment. In this moment, Father God speaks and touches The Son of God hears and feels. It's wonderfully described as the hug of heaven. We all need, we all need the hug of heaven. We were designed for that. We were designed to be in this relationship. We all need the hug of heaven. What does thinking about the hug of heaven make you feel? What does thinking about the hug of heaven make you feel? Have a think about that for a moment. Is it a familiar experience? 
Is it a distant memory? Is it something you think maybe actually I'm not sure I'm familiar with that? That's not been part of my experience. Does the idea of God being that close make you nervous or anxious? Is there a safety in a distance between God and you? You see, if intellectually we know that a hug from heaven would be a great thing, our hearts can be uncertain for all kinds of reasons. Our hearts can be nervous or anxious about God being that close. Our emotions take their cue from our experience of our own fathers and our experiences of other relationships. And for some, those relationships have been great. For many, they've been mixed. And for some, they've been profoundly awful. And so what our heads might know to be true, that I'm all up for the hug of heaven, our hearts can betray us a little bit. Our hearts can not be so sure. If our fathers were stern... It's hard to feel that God would be generous and kind. If our fathers were passive or distant, it's hard to imagine that God would be truly engaged and for us and with us and present in the detail of our lives. If our fathers often pointed out what was wrong or not quite right, then it's hard to be in God's presence and not feel somehow judged from the get-go. Like I alluded to last week, for some people, God is like the kind of police car that's following you around as you're driving. Who changes their driving habits when a police car is behind them? Those that laugh the loudest. But it creates a level of anxiety when a police car is behind you. Am I doing the right thing? Have I crossed that line? Did I go through that red light? Is that a yellow box? I'm doing more than 30 miles an hour. How can I slow down without slamming on my brakes? And life can feel like that if we think that God is the judge, the, 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 the one for whom we never quite made the grade. And some of us can be living all of our lives trying to please our fathers or somebody else. And we push that onto God and we're trying somehow to prove ourselves. So when we read, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you, in your head you might go yes, but in your heart you might go, do you know what, I'm not so sure. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Anyone? I'm not so sure. And actually what needs to be reclaimed is a revelation of who God is. Because it's easy for God to become shaped in the image that we have interpreted him to be in the light of our own experience. Instinctively we know when our fathers are not what they should have been, we know that's the case. And something in our hearts has risen up and said, no, it shouldn't be like this. Instinctively, when our fathers have been in other relations, it's been what they should have been, our hearts skipped and we've gone, yes, this captures something of, of what it's all about. So deep in our hearts, we understand what it should be. But it's so easy for that to have got lost. And one of the fundamental doctrines that runs right the way through the scriptures that is in synergy, in partnership with what I was saying last week about the doctrine of the Trinity is this doctrine of adoption. 
that the Bible says that we have been adopted into God's family. And that's what it's about. It's not just that our sins have been forgiven, check. It's not just that I've got a ticket to heaven, check. But actually, much more profoundly and more fundamentally, I've been adopted into God's family for now and for eternity. Now, adoption is a fantastic thing. Although, I fully understand. Maybe I don't fully understand, but I can begin to understand why If you've been adopted, actually it feels like a painful thing. And I guess it's probably not so much the adoption bit that's painful, but the rejection bit that's the painful bit. The bit that that clouds everything, the bit that causes the struggle and uh, and what you, you will have probably been journeying through. But the adoption is a wonderful thing. Because in that moment, you were chosen. You were chosen in a way you don't choose your kids. Your kids do not come with a returns label, do they? We've not found one. We had four looking for returns, but we didn't find one. You kind of get what you're given in the nicest possible sense. You say, well, even in adoption, when people choose babies and young kids, they they have no idea what, what, what... Step back from that and remind ourselves what God's adoption is like. God's adoption of us is with absolute full knowledge of who you are. He predestined us. He chose us knowing all there is to know about you. And still he chose you. And one of the deep fears that we have in our lives about our relationships is that one day someone will find out something about us and they will reject us because somehow they've discovered a truth about us that's unpalatable. And that makes us nervous in relationships. That's why marriage is a beautiful thing. When you move in a a level of commitment and you go, actually, there's no secrets here. There's no surprises here. There's nothing you do not know here. There's a safety in that, a security in that. Because we all fear being found out. And yet God, having already found us out, having already known everything about us, says, do you know what? I choose you (laughs) because I love you. And I choose you to be part of my family. It's the safest place, the safest relationship, the most secure anchor for the whole of our lives, that God knows everything there is to know about me. And still he chooses me, still he loves me, still he embraces me, still he calls me to be his child, his son or his daughter. The safest place in the whole of the universe. And so convinced are we on times that God hasn't fully chosen us. That perhaps there's something that God doesn't fully understand about us. But instead of fully embracing the sense of belonging to him, we can live a little bit on the outside. We can be like the prodigal son who began to make his way home. And he kind of knew in his head, he'd made a hash of things. Well, he knew that for sure. He knew that in his head and in his heart. And he kind of knew in his head that his, that his father would accept him, really. Maybe as a slave or as a servant. It'll be all right. He'll, he'll get a place in the house somehow. But he didn't quite believe that he'd be accepted again as a son. 
He didn't quite believe that that relationship would go back to where it was. He didn't quite believe in his heart the fullness. And so he plodded home very slowly, rehearsing this kind of story. Father, I know I've sinned. I know I've messed up. I know I haven't got it right. I know I don't deserve to be your son. I know that's probably not even in your mind that I could be your son. I'm just, I'm just happy to, to come and live and to work and to be somehow around your estate or whatever. And we can live like that as Christians. We kind of know that God accepts us. On one level. But on another way, we're just plodding home because we're not quite sure. And because we're not quite sure, we never allow ourselves to truly see the father that runs towards us. That's the story, isn't it? Another mad moment. Jesus is creating these pictures of kind of mad moments of, of, of God doing something that's unnatural. And an Eastern father, as you've heard so many times, lifting up their robe to run. It was improper. It was undignified. But who cared? Because this was my son. And I'm welcoming him home. And so the son was embraced. And the calf was killed. Not so good for the calf, to be fair, that day. And the people began to celebrate. This is my son who was dead but now alive, lost but now found. According to his pleasure and will. It gives God great pleasure to welcome you deeply into relationship with him. Where does your view of God stop you from fully entering that embrace? Can you understand how it would have been easy for the prodigal son to have gone, no, 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 I'm not worthy of that. No, 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 no. And to step away full of shame and guilt and failure and regret and allow all of that shame, that disappointment, that failure and regret to, to still be in the way. Because he didn't quite believe that God was meaning everything that he was saying. Or the Father was meaning everything that he was saying. Where does your view of God stop you from fully entering that embrace? Holy Spirit, help us. We need revelation to understand some of these things. We need to understand where our view of God is not as full and as revealed as it could be. Or should be. So let's have a few moments quiet. Holy Spirit, would you come? And you promise to lead us, Holy Spirit, into all truth. And so we're inviting you now to lead us into truth. To search our hearts and know us. Where is our view of God misaligned? Not quite fully formed. Where is our view of God warped? Where does the way that I think about God stop me fully embracing him and allowing him to fully embrace me?
And if God was to tear open the heavens right now, right here, in this moment, not for the person next to you, but for you, If God was to wrench apart the skies. That you might have a hug from heaven. As you listen in, can you hear the Father's voice? As you lean in, can you feel the Father's touch? What do you hear? What do you feel? Can you linger there for a moment? What do you hear? What do you feel? And what else do you feel? What other feelings, maybe even unwanted feelings, rise in this moment? What other voices, voices that perhaps you've listened to for a long time or have tried to block out? What are, what are those feelings and those voices? They, in the end, need to be surrendered to Jesus. But maybe it's enough in this moment just to know that they're there. And as you've begun to lean into the Father's voice and to feel his touch, it's a change in metaphor for sure, but can you see the Father running towards you? In that run, it communicates so much of who God is and what he's like, his delight in you.
And maybe it's all too easy to know the things that are not right, the, the smell of the pigs that's still on your clothes and in your hair, the pig food that's still on your breath. But yet the father keeps running faster and you see the delight in his face, the carefree movements of his body, the arms that are open wide. And then the embrace. Thank you, Lord, for your presence. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. Increase. Increase our sensitivity to your voice. Increase our sensitivity to your touch. Listen to this verse for a moment. Behold what manner of love the Father has lavished upon us, that we should be called children of God, for that is who we are. Look, see how much the Father loves us, that we should be called children of God. Know, perceive, understand how much the Father loves us. That we should be his sons and his daughters, welcomed into his family. And so instead of being reticent or nervous, we too begin to run As he draws near to us, we draw near to him. 
As he speaks to us and reaches out to us, we speak back and reach out to him. Can you see yourself running to him afresh? Joyfully coming into his presence. Can you see yourself more comfortable than before? Just glad to be home. Just begin to pray for the person on your left and the person on your right. That a deeper revelation of being children of God would be theirs. You know, when Jesus said this isn't revealed by flesh and blood, these things are spiritual things. They're revelations. Come, Lord Jesus. Reveal to us the Father's heart. For we've not received a spirit of fear, but a spirit of adoption of sons and daughters. And so we come boldly to the throne of grace. No longer dragging ourselves, but skipping, running even to the Father.